This is a sermon from Cornerstone Church in Kingston. We're delighted to make these resources available for you and hope that you enjoy the ministry of God's Word today. There are lots of other resources on our website which we are pleased to make available and you can browse our website and download sermons and podcasts, read blogs and articles. And if you've been listening for a while and you would like to get to know the church or for us to get to know you a bit, there is an e-contact card, a welcome card that you can fill in on our website and we'd love to hear from you. And we're going to turn to the Word of God now. Uh, we are beginning this morning a brand new series in the letter to Timothy, the first letter to Timothy. And uh, we're going to have the first seven verses uh, read. We're going to read chapter 1, verse 1 to 7, and then Pete's going to come up and preach this opening section to us. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Saviour, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, Stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these, and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about, or what they so confidently affirm. Uh, Well, good morning. My name's Pete Woodcock. I'm one of the pastors of the church. If you're new here, uh, welcome. Good to see you. Make sure you go and uh, to the uh, uh, newcomer's desk there, that would be really good. Um, apparently, last week, Cornerstone turned 20. 20 years. Um, a, lot, a lot, isn't it? And we're going to celebrate that in April. I don't know why we're putting it off, but uh, uh, we're going to celebrate that in, in April when we have our away day, so that, that'll be good. But 20. And I guess over those years, um, I've often been asked, what, what type of church is Cornerstone? <laughs> you know, what type of church? And that's been asked in very, very different ways. What type of church are you? And I guess the reason being is that there are all kinds of groups of churches and uh, those groups of churches often, you know, put themselves into an organisation or what is often called a denomination. And those groups or denominations have a particular style uh, or a particular emphasis. And so what, what group are you in? What's, what's your emphasis? Uh, as a church. In fact, those denominations, they often pick an aspect of church life or a doctrine uh, that they want to emphasize, and then they call themselves after that doctrine, like Baptists or Pentecostals or Charismatics, or uh, for the more sort of modern denominations or modern movements, whatever they're called, they often name themselves after the founding church. Hillsong, or uh, Bethel, or Grace, or something like that. So what is Cornerstone? 20 years, have you discovered what you are yet? What is Cornerstone Church? Are we Baptist? 
Well, we believe uh, the New Testament teaches the baptism of believers. So yeah, we're a Baptist church. Are we Pentecostal? Well, uh, that's uh, talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost uh, uh, on the apostles that formed the church. Are we Pentecostal? Yep, we're a Pentecostal church. Yeah. Are we charismatic? Well, I hope so, because charismatic means grace gifts. God has given grace to the church, so I hope we're charismatic. Are we brethren? Well, that's a bit older, because it only emphasizes the male side. But actually, brethren stood for uh, the priesthood of all believers, male and female. So yeah, we're brethren, and sisterin as, as that, or cisterns, as I call them. Um, <laughs> we're brethren and cisterns. Methodists, that's a harder one, because they are called Methodists after being having a, a methodical way of approach. Well, there's certain methodical ways that we have. We have uh, media fast every year, so yeah, we're Methodists, yeah. <laughs> are we Presbyterians? Well, that emphasizes elders in the church. We have elders, Presbyterians. Church of England. <laughs> well, we're a church in England, so we're the Church of England. Uh, evangelicals, absolutely. That means emphasizing the evangel, the gospel, the Christian message. Yep. Catholics. Well, the word Catholic means universal. So are we Catholics? Absolutely. So we've just got a new website up, and I don't know whether we put what we are under it, but Cornerstone Church and underneath Baptist, P Pentecostal, Charismatic, Brethren, Methodist, Presbyterian, Evangelical Church of England, Catholic Church. Yeah, and there are others. United Reform. We're united and we're reformed. Yeah, they will have that one as well. Um, but the more and more that I'm, I've taught the Bible and the more and more I've thought about this, I want to say that I don't want to call any of those names. I want to be known as, or our church, as apostolic. An apostolic church. We want to be apostolic. And that is our prayer and our aim. I'm not saying we're fully there, but that's our prayer and our aim. I don't want us to just emphasize a particular doctrine. We want to emphasize the apostolic doctrines. In Matthew 16, Jesus is teaching his disciples that largely became his apostles. And he asks them, who do, who do they think he is? Who do they believe he is? He says, who do you say I am? And Peter, on behalf of the apostles, says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus turns to Peter and says, on this rock, on the rock of that apostolic confession, I will build my church. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. On the apostolic confession of that, I will build my church. In Ephesians 2, we're told that those of us that come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are members of God's household, and listen, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. That's where we get our name from, cornerstone. So we're built on the prophets and the apostles. In Ephesians 3, we're told the mystery of Christ, the wonderful message of Christ, has now been revealed and made known by the apostles. In Revelation, you go right now to the glorified church, 
the church universal, now glorified, the Catholic church there, universal. There it is, in heaven, in the new creation. And in Revelation 21, 14, we're told, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. In other words, and we could give more stuff, more verses. In other words, the true church of Jesus Christ is built on the words and the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ come to us through the apostles. We don't have more apostles now. We go back to the foundation, to the apostles. And where do you find the apostles? In the scriptures, in the Bible. In the New Testament, uh, the Greek word for church is ecclesia, ecclesia. And a better translation than church is assembly or gathering. That's why sometimes we call our, our meetings gatherings, a gathering or congregation. Now, what sort of gathering is an apostolic gathering? Well, the apostles in their letters in the scriptures, describe and they illustrate what a gathering is, what a church is, by using words like family, brothers and sisters, household of God, the bride of Christ, a temple of God, the flock of God, the body of Christ. Christ is the, is the, is the head and we're his body, a holy nation, and alien and strangers in this world. That's a description of the gathering. That's church. The word church, you've got to get away from using it for some pretty building with a spire. All that is, is a rain shelter for some religious people to, to meet in. It may be Christians, it may be people that aren't Christians. The New Testament makes very clear that the gathering, the church, the congregation belongs to God, not us. The church is for the, the evangelization of the nations, but ultimately for the glory of God. And the church, the gathering, the family, whatever you want to call it now, is entirely dependent upon God. And it's not up to the church to do or believe what it feels fit. If it's going to be the church of God, it has to listen to God. So a local church is not a theologian's research laboratory. It's not a pastor's experiment. It's not a church planter's playground. The church of Jesus doesn't decide its own beliefs and foundational doctrines. It gets them from God. So, we come to 1 Timothy. Can someone just pass me that water there? Because it's quite hot in here. Thank you. So, we come to 1 Timothy. And here's a letter from Paul to Timothy. And there's a lot of instruction in it. And it's, a, it's about how Timothy should live as a pastor, a minister of God. And it's a sort of manual in what churches should and, and, and shouldn't do. So here's the purpose of the letter. 
Here's one purpose, which is quite personal. Uh, look at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 18. Paul writes, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck regarding their faith. He's saying, Timothy, look, I'm writing this, and I want you to stick at what you were called to do. The calling that you had to be a pastor of the church, don't move away from that like some have. Don't shipwreck your faith. Be a true minister, servant in the church of God, the gathering of God. But then look, you see 1 Timothy chapter 3, just turn over to that, verses 14 and 15. So it's not just a personal letter, it says, Although I hope, this is Paul writing, although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing to you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, look, look, you may know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Paul is telling Timothy, and he's... Um, telling Timothy what it's like to be a Christian pastor. And he's telling people what it's like to be a Christian church and how you should minister to them. So in 1 Timothy, let's just get this. There are practices and principles and foundations and truths and behaviours and ways of managing things and rules and commands that make an apostolic church, a church. Let's think of it another way. Does the church of Jesus Christ have worldwide rules? Does it have worldwide rules? Or is it just a sort of cultural thing? Is church much more of a cultural thing? Or is it down to your preferences? What you like and what you don't like. I don't like this, I like that. So I go to this church because I like this and don't like that. Or is it as vague as, as long as we love Jesus, whatever that quite means, it doesn't matter what you believe or what you do or what you say or who leads the church or whatever. What are the practical workings of a church worldwide? What are the parameters to work in? That's what's going on here. Most organisations, or if you take sport, have, have parameters and rules to work in. So tennis. So tennis has rules that makes tennis tennis. It makes tennis tennis and, and not squash. What is it that makes tennis tennis and not squash? Well, there are rules and parameters. But you can go to different parts of the world and they have different surfaces on their courts and different coloured courts and they wear different coloured clothes sometimes, and they win different amounts of money, and, uh, so, but they have a general rule worldwide, even though they have differences around the world culturally, there's a gen this is what tennis is. If you do that, it's not tennis. What makes rugby, rugby? What makes football, football? What makes them different? Well, it's the rules. Are there any worldwide rules 
or instructions that make a church a church. Yes. And if it doesn't follow those things, then you can't call it tennis, you can't call it rugby, you can't call it football, you can't really call it a church. Now I believe that, and this is why we're doing 1 Timothy, that we need confidence and we need to build confidently on the apostolic teachings and keep to the instructions. And then we'll be able to ride all the cultural changes that are going on in our world and still be relevant. We'll be the pillar of truth in a confused and lost and broken world. Then we'll be able to bring healing to the nations. Just look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. I know there's lots to look up, but look. 1 Timothy 4, 16. Paul writes, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Preserve in them. Because if you do, if you do what? Look, if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We will be no good if we don't preserve in the apostolic teaching. Because we won't be the church of God. And if we're not the church of God, we're no use to the culture in all its changing and ups, ups and downs. We need to save both ourselves and our hearers. And that's why apostolic teaching is so important. Now, that's my introduction. Let's get into the passage. We won't be able to go very far. We're only going a little way. Next week we go further. But here's the first point I want you to get. A letter from. We're in 1 Timothy now, chapter 1. A letter from. Who's the letter from? Well, verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So it's a letter from the apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, the word apostle means sent one. An apostle had the authority of the one who sent him or her. Uh, there's a Jewish proverb that says, he who is sent is as... He who sends. So the sent one is not just standing in for the sender. He is absolutely like the sender. So a Christian apostle is someone, we're told in the, in the Bible, who has to have seen and heard uh, the resurrected Christ and then is being given special authority by the resurrected Christ and only by the resurrected Christ to be an apostle. An apostle. So an apostle is a person who fully represents Jesus. Look, to put it simply, this is what he's saying, that to hear Paul here is to hear Jesus. So this could very well say, who's it from? Jesus, the Christ, is writing to you, Timothy. But it, he, it's come through the apostle. So you can't pick and choose. If you're going to be the church of Jesus, you can't say, well, I don't like what Paul says. As soon as you ever hear, by the way, anyone says, I love Jesus, but I don't like Paul, you'll know that they're not apostolic. Or they, you, would, you could easily question their faith at all in Christ. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. The words of Paul are to be received like the words of Christ. But then he goes on, look, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Saviour and of Christ Jesus our hope. 
Now the word command there, the command of God our Savior, it's a royal, it's a royal command. It, it means with every possible authority. That's what the word means. He's speaking with every possible authority. And what are the greatest authorities? Well, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He's speaking with every possible authority to us. Paul is sovereignly dispatched from the Holy Trinity himself. This command of God, extraordinary. Because we know that when God commands things, things happen. The command of God when he speaks a world into being. This is the God of the church who commands Paul. And that word will create the church as that word created the universe. None other than the command of God. There's no greater authority that he can appeal to. So it's a letter from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Saviour, and Christ Jesus, our hope. Now, I don't want this to be negative, because I think sometimes you can read uh, something that has lots of ways that you should do things as a sort of very negative thing. It's sort of against our liberty. But it isn't against our liberty. I mean, look at the words. This is not just God. This is God, our Saviour, and Jesus, our hope. This isn't for our harm. This is for our salvation and hope, our future. This isn't a word from some nasty dictator that wants to do us in and kill us. This is the word from a saviour, a rescuer, and our hope. So a letter from, my second point, a letter to. Look at verse 2. To Timothy, my true son in the faith. Now, true son in the faith, the word true there means legitimate. It's, it's like a child born in wedlock. It's, it's not a bastard. It's not an illegitimate child. It's like a child born in, in wedlock. And I think when you read the Acts accounts of Paul meeting Timothy for the first time in Derby uh, with, with, uh, with um, Barnabas when they go on a preaching tour, it, it's pretty obvious, and I think it's fairly all right to say that, that, that Paul led Timothy to Christ. I mean, he had a great foundation, Timothy, from his grandma and his mother, but Paul led Timothy to Christ. And so Paul is the spiritual father, if you like, of, of, uh, of Timothy. Timothy's got this genuine faith that came through the preaching of Paul. And then Timothy joined Paul, um, and they had many experiences together, if you read the book of Acts. Um, and uh, Timothy pops up in all kinds of letters uh, that Paul writes to the churches. So he definitely sees Timothy as his successor. There's this father-son relationship. There's this co-worker relationship. There's this trainer-trainee relationship. That's what you've got with Paul and Timothy. It's rather lovely. Paul is probably twice his age. And, uh, and as I say, led, led him to Christ. And so the question I wanted to ask was, why, does, why is so Paul so formal? Yeah, if I was writing to Tom, I, I don't think I'd write Tom, senior pastor of Cornerstone Church for 20 years, yeah, uh, over you. Um, uh, 
it's slightly odd. Um, you know, Paul, an apostle. I mean, such grand... Why not just to my son Timothy? It's a bit like Charles writing to Harry in, in America, isn't it? And saying, your sovereign majesty, Charles III, you know? To Harry, my son. Now, I guess a letter like that is on the way, but, uh, um, but you know, it's like, well, you know. What's he saying? I, I think he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, look, I'm telling you things here, not just as a father to a son, however good that would be, not just as an experienced older colleague, however good that would be. Not just, this isn't just good advice, however good that would be. This is the word of the apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God. So who's the letter to? Timothy. But the letter's also to more than Timothy. Back to chapter 3, verse 15. Just look at those words again. If I'm delayed, says Paul, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. In other words, it's a letter not just to Timothy, but it's a letter that Timothy is instructed to instruct the churches. This is an apostolic word from Jesus and the command of the triune God to Cornerstone Church today. And that's very important. So it's important we take these words seriously. So when we come across a passage, perhaps in 1 Timothy, perhaps at the end of 1 Timothy 2, when we come across a passage that is culturally a disaster, that the culture thinks we're mad to believe, if we've properly interpreted, which we have to do, if we've thought about it within its context, if it says stuff against the culture to believe, then who are we going to believe? And that's the faith. That's where we're going to be apostolic or not apostolic. That's the question, isn't it? Are we going to listen, even though culturally it may cause us serious issues to believe? And we think it's mad culturally then we've got, to be, we've got to take it this seriously. As long as we've done our interpretations correctly, obviously there are disagreements and things that we can look at. But as someone said, a church married to the spirit of the age in one generation is likely to be widowed in the next because culture changes so much. So rather than listen to culture, let's listen to the, founda the foundations of the church the apostolic word through Jesus Christ. But look, I don't want this just to be negative. That's the problem when you're dealing with, uh, uh, very often with things, particularly like, uh, you know, Paul saying about women not teaching in the church. Now remember, it's in the church. It feels so negative. And I, when we come to that, I want to show you how positive that is. But it's not just negative here. The words here in these few verses are not negative. Just look at the words. Look at verses 1 and 2. Look, you've got saviour, hope, grace, mercy, peace from God, the Father, Jesus is Lord. 
This is wonderful stuff, isn't it? You don't get those words in the world. You get cancelled, condemnation, vicious responses. You're not in our group. This is saviour, hope, grace, mercy, peace. God is a father, not just some distant thing. This is the alternative society for a lost world. This is the way to win the world. It's to follow God's way and then we present a saviour and an alternative society where you'll know the blessings of God. I've, I've said it uh, before and when we were looking at Peter, I've, I've said this, but it's the best illustration I've got. Um, a, a church must be in the world, but it mustn't be of the world. We've got to be in the world. It's like a boat. The boat has got to be in the water, but when the water's in the boat, that's the end of the boat. When the boat is in the water, it can rescue people. It stands out as a beacon. So that moves me on to my third point. The immediate problem that Paul deals with. The immediate problem. And the immediate problem is false teaching. Just have a look at verse, uh, verse 3. Have a look at verse 3 of chapter 1. As, as I urged you when I was in Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrine any longer, or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's word, which is by faith. There is something very important right at the beginning uh, that's got to stop. And this is, this is a matter of urgency. This is first things first. You can't put other things right until you get this right. So first things first. It's urgent. He says in verse 3, I urge you. And that word is, I beg, I beseech, I entreat, I implore. You know, he's pleading. And then he says, command these people to stop teaching. And the word command there is a different word to the other word command we were looking at. But it, it, it has the, the sense of warning. You've got to warn these people. I'm warning you to warn them. There's warning here. This is seriously wrong. So what are they teaching? Well, it says they're false teaching. But that word false could be interpreted different. Now, there's something powerful. Because it's not just false teaching, but different teaching to the apostles. Different teaching to the apostles is false teaching in the church. Do you see that? That's an important thing to think about. If your teaching is different from the apostles, it is in fact false teaching. Then look at verse 4. Myths and endless genealogies, stories and fables. And Genealogies has the sense of pedigree. Who's better than, I'm better than you, I'm from a better family than you, and all that nonsense. It's like the mudblood stuff in Harry Potter. Um, uh, and then look, verse 4. Controversial speculations. Oh, end times. Did you notice that tank had a funny shape on it, and therefore that must be the beast. And there's all this sort of stuff going on, and endless number counting and codes and Bible codes and books about this number here and add that up there and divide it by 18, and then you've got what? 
we've had people come to the church with that. That's, that's where I always say, you're very welcome at Chessington Evangelical Church. <laughs> it's up there, up the road there. Do you want me to drive you there? Meaningless talk in verse 6. It's, it's vain janglings. It's noise. It's fruitless. Uh, then they misuse the law. We're going to come back to some of this uh, next week. So these people are lost in meaningless words, arguing over meaningless things, yeah? going on and on and on about things that have little importance instead of the great truths that change people's lives and builds the church, majoring on minors. I was talking to a, uh, an Anglican brother and he was saying that in his uh, what's it, parish, um, he can say what he likes. You know, he doesn't even have to really believe in God in his preaching and Jesus, and he can do, speak anything he likes. He can say what he likes in the church, but on these certain high days, he has to wear the certain uniform that the Anglicans wear on that day. And if you don't wear that, you can get into big trouble by the bishop. I met a bishop once, and, uh, and we were supposed to dress up to meet him. I dressed down. No way I'm dressing up to meet a bishop. Uh, well, a, 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 a real bishop maybe, but not a... Anyway, I'm in trouble. <laughs> and this bloke, all he went on about was dress and dress codes. And apparently there's this little red uh, sort of uh, ribbons that you have to tie at the end of, of the particular sort of dress that he was wearing. And if he didn't wear those ribbons, it would be all wrong. And then he stood up and didn't preach the gospel. He's worried about ribbons and majoring on ridiculous things like a red ribbon around you. What are you talking about, man? And people majoring on minors. I spoke at a conference in Australia for ministers uh, from a particular denomination, and it was a disaster. They, all they were about were, he's written a white paper, and Brother Thing's written a green paper, and if you could read the green paper, then they'd do the white paper, and then we're just, uh, it's all about moral issues, and there's this moral issue. Oh, oh. Did Fred write the, Fred wrote the paper, he started off the white paper, it's now a green paper, or whichever way around it is, and, you know, I'm just standing up and saying, this is all toilet roll. That's what it is. That's the paper you're talking about. Where's the gospel in you? Majoring on minors, it's unbelievable. Look at verse 7. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. I mean, they, they, they spoke with that stubborn assurance that... Uh, is a fruit of ignorance. There are people like this. They start upsetting the apostolic emphasis and emphasizing the wrong things and end up with a wrong gospel. That's all about them and how they look instead of Christ and how glorious he is. Look at verse 7. They do not know what they're talking about. The word there is a continual misunderstanding. You try and correct them, there's a continual misunderstanding. They think they're talking. They're talking confidently, ignorant. Have you ever met anyone like that? It's utterly embarrassing, isn't it? They just waffle on and on and on. Here's a young man, he comes to see you. He wants to put the church right. And he comes with all confidence. He's read some little article. Well, he hasn't read it. He's read the... the uh, 
introduction of some article on the internet and he knows how to run a church and he comes with all the confidence of the first line of the article to tell you off and it's so ignorant, it's so embarrassing that you have to sort of keep saying, oh, did you, did you mean this and uh, did you mean that because it's just too embarrassing. And they don't know anything. And all this stuff promotes strife and speculation and not love. Did you notice that? Love is the fulfilment of the law and true teaching. And so this false teaching must be stopped. Watch out for it. You get it all over the internet. People talking unlovingly, very strongly. I watched a couple. I'll bring them out next week, probably. I watched a few. I, I just put in angry American preachers. And <laughs> 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 it's just unbelievable. Uh, there's a bloke shouting at people that if you don't use the King James Version of the Bible, you're not a Christian. It's just, uh, and that's his gospel. It's just shout. It's just, I mean, you go away from that church and you just, what? It's just shouting. It's just shouting. King James Version of the Bible! King James Version of the Bible! And your third point? King James Version of the Bible! It's like, what are you talking about? You really want that version to go to Indonesia so that they who don't even read English can only read that version? What are you on about? There was a magazine I had many years ago someone gave to me and it, it advertises churches and what they expect you to do. There, was a, there were many in this magazine. It was called Sword of Truth or something like that. Um, you have to pick on the sword, don't they? The Sword of Truth. And it was churches. It was uh, a King James version only, no miniskirts, no beards. No beards, right? I wouldn't, don't you want to grow a beard, get a good news Bible, and wear a miniskirt and go and see the pastor just to see what happens? Anyway, we'll come on to that next week. I'm going into next week's term. It's what. What, what is this all about? What are you talking about? It, uh, it's arguing over things that never produce love. And that's my fourth point, and I have to hurry. The apostolic teaching teaches love. Look at verse 5. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. The goal of proper apostolic teaching that God wants in the church is love. And the word is agape love. It's a love where you choose to serve other people, even unlovable people. It's a self-denial. You choose to self-deny your, yourself. You choose to sacrifice yourself on behalf of other people. John Piper says this, love is the outflow of joy in God which gladly meets the others, the needs of others. Love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. That's love. That's true apostolic doctrine. In this letter, Paul uses the word doctrine because it's very important. Eight times. 
Eight times he shows you that doctrine, teaching is important. There is a dynamic, an absolute dynamic reality between our doctrine and the way we live. There is not a disconnect between doctrine and and practice. If you don't love, you don't have the right doctrine. That's the way it goes. If you have agape love, then you have the right doctrine. Doctrine is the heart of true living. It's not shouting King James Version at someone. False doctrine promotes division. You must use the King James Version. Why Why is the person saying that? Because I know more than you and I'm better than you. It promotes the person. False doctrine makes elitism, snobbery, nasty groups that just shout at each other. But this is the command to love, agape love, proper love. Look, verse 5, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. People change their doctrine because their hearts are impure. That's what they do. If they have an impure doctrine, they may have an impure heart. If they have an impure heart, you'll listen. Oh, we don't really believe that. Oh, the culture says this. Oh, no, we must... Do you see that? People will change their doctrine if they have an impure heart. But if you have pure doctrine, you'll have a pure heart. When a sinner is drawn to Christ, the heart is first regenerated. The result of a regenerated heart is the conscience feels sin. The result of feeling sin is that it pushes us to Jesus, the rescuer of sinners. It's a wonderful picture of the effects of the apostolic gospel on a human heart. The goal of this is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. When you know God your saviour, when you know Christ our hope, when you know the grace and mercy and peace of God, when you know God your Father, when you know that the law properly taught shows your sin and pushes you to Christ our hope, when you know that, love grows in you. Your heart knows the purifying work of God. Your love for God and your neighbour grows. Your conscience, you don't have to pretend, is clean. You know you're a sinner. You know you're a failure and you've come to God who cleanses us. So, let me wrap it up. What type of church does Cornerstone want to be in the next 20 years? What type of church does it want to be? Apostolic which means that we will love God and love each other. It doesn't doesn't mean that we don't stand up against error. Paul is telling them to, to throw out these false teachers. Love doesn't mean to say that we accept everything. That's not love. Agape love says, no, no, there's truth. We stand with truth and that is love to the world. Our goal is to be great lovers that take unpleasant truth, as people might see it, 
to a lost world to rescue them. In Revelation 2 and 3, the last book of the Bible, Jesus walks amongst the churches. He comes to see what, how they're doing. Are they a real church? Are they apostolic? He comes to the church in chapter 2 of Ephesus, the very one that Timothy had to go to. And he says a number of things. And amongst them is this. This is Jesus saying, I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove the lampstand from its place. You'll shipwreck your faith. You won't be a church. True doctrine, apostolic doctrine, makes us lovers of God and of each other. So, can I encourage you to do your job? Get into the teaching in the Bible. And as you do that, you'll become a lover, if you understand it right. And we'll love each other. So what type of church is Cornerstone? We love each other. We're family. We call each other out when someone's going astray. Don't go astray. Come back to the flock. Come on. That's not the way to live. The Saviour says don't live like that. Come back to the flock. This is our hope. This is our hope for the future. Follow the apostolic teaching. Let's bow our heads and pray. And if there's anything to repent of, if we've been unloving to each other, then we need to think that through and wonder if our doctrine's right. And I'll hand over to Tom. Father, we do thank you that you are God, our Saviour, and that Christ Jesus is our hope. And uh, we thank you that from you, Heavenly Father, we have an endless a supply of mercy and peace and grace that comes to us through Christ Jesus our Lord. And we pray, Father, that you would help us uh, as a church corporately, but as individuals here this morning, uh, to be committed to the teaching of the apostles. That we wouldn't be those who listen firstly to what our culture says, or to what we think, and then to reinterpret your word to make it acceptable and believable in our age. But the, we would be those who listen firstly to what your timeless truth says for every generation. Help us, Lord, to commit to and to submit to and to see the joy of the apostles' teaching here in this letter. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us not to grow cold and lifeless with our right teaching. Um, but that we would be loving, that we would have truth that leads to love, both for one another and for the world around us. And we pray that as we work our way through this letter, uh, that we would never lose sight of these foundational truths about your word and this call to love. In Jesus' name, amen.